Sponsored by page 28 of the EFF Manifesto. You're listening to Begging the Question. Hello, Sof. How are you doing today? Yeah, fine and you. How's it going? Always great, thank you. So, the topic of tonight is expropriation without compensation. Yes. Very, very interesting topic to be had. Well, it's a, it's a hot topic that uh, is not losing any heat, that's for sure. Oh, yes, definitely. I don't think anybody envisioned expropriation without compensation taking a turn like it did in the past couple of days with um, regards to Ivan Kuta, the pig farmer. Uh, have you read anything on that? Can you maybe point a few things out there? Yeah, sure. I've, I've, I've scaled through what's available and there's not much, to be honest. But basically, this farmer, Ivan Kluter, was allocated to previous farms and then he was moved to this third farm in Darling. And now he is being evicted from this farm and apparently this farm is going to a company, a PTYLTD. But basically, the directors, the owners of this company um, have some ANC links, etc. So the question at the moment is obviously, is this going to be the face of expropriation going forward? Yeah, I don't think we should be surprised with that because, I mean, that's the general playbook, right, of any socialist or collectivist movement. Those that are politically connected are more than likely to get a lion's share of the spoils, if you would. So how can people still believe that expropriation without compensation is a redress for the past? It's an interesting question. You know, I was reading the EFF manifesto of 2019. And as we know, the EFF is the tail that's been wagging this dog. And if you read their points on land reform, the first point is that the land must be expropriated and placed into the capable and competent and um, shepherding state who will obviously have our best interests at heart. And after 26 years of corruption, which has only accelerated, it's madness. It's just pure and utter madness. It's crazy when you when you really think about it, right? Here, here they are saying that, you know, it should be placed in the custodianship of the state because the state is going to take care of our, I don't know, needs. But isn't this the same state that's currently struggling to procure vaccines, right? And we expect them to do the whole expropriation thing fairly. I don't see that working. Uh, I just see, like you pointed out, 26 more years of corruption and ineptitude following this. No, definitely. Um, you know, whether you take an inductive argument, if you empower the state to be the custodian of something, then they can give that privilege away to, to people, either for favors or for money. But we've got the inductive and the deductive argument that this is just a bad idea. Um, the fact that uh, the constitution <laughs> needs to be amended um, is not a small point. The fact that the expropriation bill mm. is now picking up steam is also not a small point. 
Definitely not. We should discuss that. Yes, no, absolutely. We keep hearing, for example, the state is our servant or the state, state should be subordinate to the constitution. But the mere fact that the constitution has to be amended or changed to meet this requirement of the ideological state, let's call it that, just goes to prove that the government is not the subordinate to the constitution or the people, but rather that the constitution and the people are subordinate to the government. Would that be a fair assessment? No, absolutely, because I was doing a lot of research on this and especially on Section 25 as it currently stands. And the first question I asked myself is, why are they trying to amend the Constitution? Because Section 25.8 gives the government license to bring in a law which can deviate from the provisions of the Constitution. And of course, there's always Section 36 looming for the limitation of rights and i have to say the only reason i can see that the constitution is being amended is something very nefarious because it really doesn't seem necessary now the expropriation bill that is coming through that is absolutely necessary they can't just expropriate um, property through common law and the constitution and get it done that way they can't do it so this bill is absolutely important but precisely why the constitution needs to be amended that's what worries me is this just to show that the constitution can be amended i'm not really sure no i think i think that you've hit the nail on the head there because for me it's it's exactly that same question is that you've got all these provisions right like you pointed out 25 8 and then also 36 in the constitution but if you look at it all they needed to do was bring in this bill of expropriation that would have basically been enough but they had to go further and beyond that and show to the people that actually we are the masters you are our serfs and you will do as we command because we can change the constitution whenever we want to as long as we have two-thirds majority and that's something that that i'm not very happy about because the constitution to me if it really is this supposed supreme law of the land and the work of art that some claim it to be then why do you want to change it perhaps like you pointed out it's for something more nefarious as well and we have to keep in mind that this is something that socialist governments tend to escalate as they progress right um, we can see the same sort of escalation in soviet russia where at first it was fine to own farmland and you would not be touched if it was under a certain acreage. And once you've basically accumulated a certain amount of wealth, you would have become um, a valid target for expropriation. That was aggressively then changed in their supposed constitution and laws to actually allow the state to expropriate whatever you know, land they wanted for the quote-unquote greater good of, of the whole society. And basically, this is where it all hinges on, right? It's, but what does the state mean when it expropriates land for the greater good or to compensate those that, was, that were previously disadvantaged through the apartheid regime? You would think after 26 years, some form of redress would have already happened. But that's not what we see. In fact, what we see is more rampant corruption under the table deals and, and so on and so forth. You see, the thing is, if you try and write in redress into a constitution, it brings up a lot of problems. In terms of BE and redress, there's no cutoff point. 
there's no line drawn in the sand that says, okay, once we have reached this um, set of criteria, right, like a like a KPI for redress, you know, once we've fulfilled those, then redress will be over and we'll start living in a free society. So I always thought when when 96 came around, um, we shouldn't have adopted a constitution. You, you have to make a choice. Are you going to have redress or are you going to have rights that apply equally to all? Because, I mean, the, the, obvious, the obvious problem with BEE and things like expropriation without compensation is that they, they are and will be done along prejudicial lines which is just the antithesis of the the idea of equality before the law. Precisely. I mean, even in the Bill of Rights or in the Constitution, it says that, you know, South Africa is founded on the principle of non-racialism. But when you look at, for example, the expropriation of compensation, never mind that it's going to go for those that are politically connected. It's also going to be, you know, given to those that are racially profiled favorably towards what the state would deem necessary. Right. This is what we see with broad-based back economic empowerment, affirmative action, and equal equity. Uh, I just don't think anybody thought as far as, but wouldn't this enable more corruption? They all saw this bleed-hard story about, you know, black people, brown people, whatever people, being ripped off their homes or from their homes, and you know, just being sent away in God knows where. And now all of a sudden they want redress. They never thought of, we cannot have a constitution and redress because the two seem to be contradictory to one another. To have restoration, you need to discriminate. But to have rights means that you do not discriminate. So this is where the, the two, two principles of our society basically butt heads. And we'll, we're seeing this now, you know, culminating in expropriation without compensation, where discrimination is so bad that it's going to members of parliament, people that already have companies and farms and that are connected as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the contradictions and the, the obvious problems run deeper throughout the constitution. Um, just on the basis of equality, section 9.5 says that discrimination is unfair unless it's fair. <laughs> you, you state all of these grounds which people may not be discriminated against and then you turn around and say, well, yeah, we can do that. Uh, no problem. <laughs> no problem, actually. But, uh, but I mean, there's, there's, there's just this incredibly strange relationship. Um, I mean, especially property. You know, if, if you read certain sections of the Constitution, like um, 26 and 27, for instance, right? So 26 and 27 is uh, housing and healthcare and food, etc. In one sense, we have property rights um, that you're actually entitled to something um, whether you earned it or not is really inconsequential. But in the same breath in section 25, there's no negative property rights. You aren't entitled to keep what you have. Just listen to the phrasing, right? Section 25, it says that no one may be deprived of property except in terms of a law of general application. Now what that actually means is everyone may be deprived of property as long as it's not done in an individual targeted sense. So as long as nobody has property rights, um, then it's fine. Then it's all good. But I mean, let's, let's take it to the extreme, right? Because property is basically anything that you own, 
right? Whether it's money in the bank, whether it's the house, whether it's your car, it can even be a fucking flower in a flower pot, right? But here's the extreme. And this is, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot. My body is also my property. So expropriation without compensation taken to the extreme would also mean that I myself do not own myself. Yeah, man, it's, the constitution can, because it's so vague, it can be interpreted however the people in power want to interpret it. I mean, okay, f firstly, that, that property can mean anything. Well, that is in the constitution. Section 25.4b says that property is not limited to land. <laughs> But I mean, the, the, the contradictions just run deep because you can argue that the right to life um, implies that you have to have the right to property. Yet, as I just described, no one has the right to property. Nobody does. I mean, the, the, the government just makes a law of general application, say the tax law, and says, OK, everybody that earns 6,500 Rand, you don't have property rights in terms of your salary right but they can change that to anything they can change that to anybody who earns 10 rand or 100 rand no one's protected no one's protected by this but i mean people need to understand even even if they get a government handout that's property that gets conferred and they don't have a right to that no they they don't and this is something that's very interesting for me we constantly hear julius malema and lozi and all these other you know hardened socialists um, say that without land, their people cannot live, right? Yet, in the same breath, what they're saying is, oh, we'll give you the land under preconditions that it always belongs to the state. Thus, we're not really giving you the land. We're just pretending to give it to you, right? So what's the difference between the private lesser and that of the government at that point? Because they're contradicting what they're saying. If if I can't lease my land to you as a private individual because it, I don't own it anymore because the government took it, but the government leases it to you, then all you did was transfer of ownership. You didn't really transfer it to the individual that needed it. You just transferred it from one person to another through a what you would call a purchase of land or purchase of property. And that purchase might be zero rand, might be through use of force. But still, that purchase was done. But it still excludes the majority of the poor people. No, absolutely. I mean, under the EFF's vision, the only entity that has the right to property is the state. Nobody else. And here's the problem, right? The state is not beholden unto something like contractual law in that exchange, right? Say that they're still beholden unto contract law at that period of time. Do you think if that happens too much and they get dragged to court too often that they just won't amend that law and just say that the government holds the, the right to, um, to lease and it can then take away the lease as it sees fit? I don't see how that gives us stability or security in, in any sense. No, it, it doesn't. And I'll, I'll bet you that that is exactly one of the conditions within Ivan's contract as well, right? And also, we can already see the state basically swindling this in their favor because they're saying that, well, Ivan didn't really follow the process and these other farmers did follow the process. And that's why they are getting the, the farm and not Ivan. 
right? So they've already started with this. They've already started changing the rules, if you would. Um, they're like uh, the hedge funds in Wall Street. You know, now all of a sudden when the rules don't play nice to them back, they just want to change it. It's exactly the same thing here. After people figured out they can, ex you know, exaggerate or rather exploit the rules to their favor, the government now changes it to be more favorable, well, guess what, to the government, obviously. And like you pointed out, government is not really beholden to contractual laws. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like if you think about um, NERSA and ESCOM, right? ESCOM is a state-owned enterprise and NERSA... <laughs> and NERSA <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help myself. state-owned enterprise. Exactly. So what you do is you've got the state regulating the state, how the state can regulate itself. It's, it's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. And, and yet you would still get people that would think it's a brilliant idea and we should have a commission or a committee, you know, overseeing this. But this committee should be beholden to the state, but regulate the state. That doesn't make sense at all. I mean, what else can we add to this? It's, it's ludicrous from, from start to, to finish. And the consequences of this is going to be felt throughout the economy of South Africa. Um, it's not just going to hit the, the rich and the, the upper middle class. It's, it's going to hit hardest at the poor and the destitute um, because resources will get will become less and access to it will become less, which gives more power to those who have access to these resources, right? So you're bottlenecking the accumulation of wealth to a handful of people, and these people are politically connected. Once that happens, these people will be able to change and shape the laws as it fits them, as it benefits them, and not necessarily that of society. That is the true danger of expropriation without compensation. No, definitely. Um, and I think on uh, that happy, um, optimistic prognosis, I think that's a good place to end. <laughs> I think so as well, yes. Thank you for listening to Begging the Question. Landlord Death.